This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Elijah Robert Poole, better known as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, born in Sandersville, Georgia, October 7th, 1897. He was the seventh of 13 children born to William Poole Sr., who was a Baptist preacher, you know, uh, one of those backwoods Baptist preachers who was also a sharecropper, as well as his wife, Mariah, who was also a sharecropper. Um, I'm, I'm watching, and I'm doing a whole series on what I'm watching, but I'm particularly focused uh, with the next couple of podcasts on Who Killed Malcolm, which is a Netflix documentary, uh, six-part uh, documentary, and it is eye-opening, but what I'm doing is taking breadcrumbs and following them, right? So this is not a referendum or an indictment on the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but in the last podcast, I talked about um, the Honorable Wallace Fard Muhammad and how he built something out of nothing and then he went away. Like he just disappeared and no one knew anything about him. And literally the nation of Islam was built on the vision of someone that we don't know much about. And I kind of like that, right? Because it was handed off literally to Elijah Muhammad to take it to the next place. And boy, did he, he uh, created an industry. Uh, he created uh, mosques all over the country, all over the world. Uh, thriving communities, Chicago, mansion, wealth, uh, unmatched. And, um, but I want to say something about that, right? Because I think, you know, as someone who builds things and, and you have to always build for sell and build for secession. And I think we don't do that. I think a lot of times we get caught up in the power of things, but the, the, the true building, whether we're talking about a pyramid, I don't know. There were several pharaohs that built several pyramids and the pyramids took 15, 20 years to build. So who's responsible for it? Is it the people that laid the first foundation of the brick and the cornerstone, the ones that, that put the top cap on with the gold? Like, that was a collaborative effort, and anything successfully built that can last for thousands of years, like the pyramids, requires that there's more than ego involved in the building, and that one singular person cannot be responsible for the, the execution of that vision, right? Somebody had the vision, but you know you're not going to live long enough, or maybe you shouldn't stay around to see it to fruition, because there are other things to build, right? And if you're a visionary, um, then you keep, you just keep building. Like right now I, I'm, I sit on a radio thing, right? I have a radio show. You guys know, cause if you're tuning in, maybe you don't, maybe you're listening to the podcast. And you don't know that I have a radio show on Sirius XM that I've been on now is 2020 since, uh, for five years, right? 2015. I'm gonna give you the math. Right. And when I got there though, I felt like it wasn't enough for me to have a really successful show, that in order for me to have true success, I would build around myself with other successful talent, people who could reach people that I couldn't reach, because that to me is how you build. You build on numbers, strength in numbers. So I speak to a particular kind of ear. Not everybody likes my voice. Not everybody likes how I talk. Not everybody likes the things that come out of my mouth. I get that. I'm not changing. I like me. But I realized that the message can be delivered in many different vessels and vehicles. Maybe there's somebody out there who can deliver a similar message, but in a different package. It's the same message, but you just receive it differently because you like that person. And so what I did was build other shows. 
with people who were not just like me, who don't come from the same exact background, who don't have, they don't have the same outlook or perspective. They don't have the same flow because duplication, that's easy, right? Um, it's hard to actually deliver a message through many different vessels. People who can do that, Republicans. Anyway, <laughs> and let me not get political, so scratch that. But what I'm saying is the, the true hallmark of success is, first of all, longevity. How are you able to pass that baton to the next person who's going to build on your vision and take it to the next place and then pass it off to the next place? And the passing off is the thing, right? So um, Honorable Wallace uh, Fart Muhammad passed it over to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who literally sat in that seat for a lot of years, for a very long time, and didn't necessarily, while he Im imagined his children being his successors, because we do that too. That nepotism thing damages and hurts a whole lot of visions and a whole lot. Just because you gave birth to someone doesn't mean that they're the person that's gonna carry your vision. As a matter of fact, History will tell us more than likely your your progeny, the, the 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 children that you birth will probably not be able to carry forth your legacy. They're too close to it. You know, it's like a prophet's never welcome in his own home. We we know that. And sometimes you have to go out to find the next place to, to hand that baton over. I don't know if the Honorable Wallace Fart Muhammad had children because we don't know much about him. But he he had Elijah Muhammad. But Elijah Muhammad positioned himself to take that baton. He stayed with this man for three years, joined at his hip, and learned everything. And just because you have children, and Wallace, uh, Elijah Muhammad had a bunch of children, <laughs> doesn't mean that those kids are, are positioned to take over your, your vision that you took over for somebody else. So there's no Malcolm X without uh, a Wallace Fart Muhammad. There's no Malcolm X without an honorable Elijah Muhammad. And... The killing of Malcolm, which I'm going to talk about in another podcast, um, I believe happened because the vision had fractures and the vision got overtaken by ego and the vision uh, was sullied by infiltration. But no one can infiltrate your vision unless there's a fracture for them to get into, unless there's a fissure for them to wiggle themselves into. And they're always looking. There's a piece in um, the six-part documentary where the FBI came to Malcolm and tried to get him to turn uh, against the Elijah, uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and he, video, he um, audio taped them, and they offered him money and position and this and that, and he was like, nope, you know, no, I, I could be on the outs with this man, but I'm still riding with this man, and I think that many of us today, and again, I'm using this... Um, Netflix documentary, uh, Who Killed Malcolm, as a backdrop to talk about a larger thing in our community. Because I'm going to say this, and I'm probably going to say it a lot. We're not getting to the promised land. We're not getting, when I say we, humanity will not be going to the next place until we figure this part out. This unity part. And what unity looks like. Listen, uh, those of you who have family members, I'm sure they're family members that you disagree with. And it really comes to a head at the death, at a funeral, when things have to be sussed out and divvied up. Hurt feelings, trauma, generational trauma, you know, somebody said something and you can't let it go. And you allow that to destroy your family. And to this day, there are probably family members you don't speak to or you, you have a very tepid relationship with. And let me just be clear. So, some family members need to be left in the wilderness. 
And that's another lesson, you know. Not everybody gets to go. But if we are all clear that for some reason we all have value in the next place, then you put aside your ego and you put aside your pettiness to make sure that even, yeah, even if I don't like you, I can't stand you, I'm going to work with you because it's good to do. I've talked on these mics. <laughs> well, it's only one that I'm holding. I've talked in this space about the building of Black Wall Street, and I'm going to bring it back because it, what I've learned this year is that it would not be built unless two people put their differences aside. And I'm talking about O.W. Gurley, who was more of a person who would conciliate, you know, be, be um, uh, someone who would work with white people and thought it was, it was beneficial for black, for the black, you know, community that he was building to have a good relationship with the white community. And J.B. Stratford, who was like, no, the white people are the devil and they're going to come and destroy us. And J.B. was actually correct, but he still put the, aside his differences that he had with O.W. Gurley to build a striving, thriving community. They didn't get along. They didn't see eye to eye, but they didn't let that publicly destroy the vision that they both had, which was for a thriving, powerful black community. Now, what they didn't do is what the Nation of Islam did, which was to build an army. And what was ironic about Black Wall Street is that literally many of the men in Black Wall Street in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, had come back from the war. But they didn't train to protect themselves from the outside enemy. Primarily because I think O.W. Gurley kept a, a, a pathway open to, to communicate with folk, which wasn't a bad idea because... He probably staved off a whole lot of lynchings as a re result of his relationship with the other side of town because the fear of the unknown sometimes can be so damnable, especially when you don't have protection, which Black Wall Street didn't have. So that's a lesson moving forward that somebody listening to my voice as you build the next whatever has to take into effect or put into to action, which the Nation of Islam did with the Fruit of Islam. And I'm going to do a whole podcast on fear because... Let's, let's be really clear. The United States government and white people feared the nation of Islam, which is why the only method of destruction was from within. They knew that they could not destroy it from without. There was no firebombing like they did with the, with the four little girls. There was no dogs that they could sick on them. There was no water hoses that they can put on those men that was going to break them. They knew that. And as a matter of fact, they knew that that would have probably caused a revolution that they weren't prepared for. So they used another tactic. And so I'm bringing this up because strategy is important and it's what I don't see a whole lot of. There, there needs to be many different ways that you, when you're building something, you have to factor in all of the different ways that thing can be destroyed and then you have to come up with a strategy to protect that thing from destruction, whether it's the elements, whether it's outside forces, or in this case, infiltration. Now, I think the nation knew that they were being surveilled, but they didn't know to the extent that they were being surveilled, that they, they were the number one surveilled group, Elijah Muhammad being the number one surveilled person in America. I'm sure he didn't know that, which made him vulnerable because at the same time, up emerges this charismatic, tall, handsome, eloquent, smart, brilliant man named Malcolm Little who became Malcolm Shabazz, excuse me, Malcolm X, then Malcolm uh, um, Elhaj Shabazz, Shabazz. But while he was gaining popularity, and it's interesting, you know, I, I, not, not that I can relate at all because I've never been at that level or ever been in that position, but I remember being at um, a radio station, uh, a black-owned radio station that I gave everything to. 
because I was so happy that a black man owned a little tiny AM station that it was my personal mission to make it one of the biggest, smallest stations in the world. Like I, it had limited bandwidth, but it was my, my mission to expand that bandwidth beyond. And I came up with, I, would, I was one of the first radio hosts in the country to do chat rooms and have discussions with people online using social media before, before there was a Twitter, you know, and I remember f f telling somebody there, I think it was a program director, you have to create an us not an us versus them, but you have to get the audience to understand that they have someone that they can rely on. But for some reason, the management there started getting jealous. It was weird. I mean, I, I can only call it that because I wasn't looking for another job. I wasn't out there putting my tapes out, even though I was rising to the point of CNN, um, looking to do something with me. Um, on television, I was on just about every other night with uh, on on CNN, commentating uh, com on different things that were happening politically and socially. And it, yeah, my star quote unquote was rising, but I wasn't concerned about that. And I think it's hard because most of us judge people by how we are. So I'm gonna say some things about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad that that I feel I don't know for a fact, but it just seems that way. I feel like his position was more important than the furtherance of the movement, meaning that his position in the lead seat was more important. He also didn't want to upset the apple cart. And I think it was wise. I think Malcolm was saying some things, but he was emboldened at the same time by the mission, which was black empowerment. And so he couldn't stop talking about black empowerment and he couldn't probably understand why do we need to tippy toe around these different things when they really can't touch us. So I think Malcolm understood the power, maybe even more so than Elijah Muhammad of what they created and how doubling down on it actually made them more powerful. I'll get to that in another podcast, but but I also, in this, this documentary points out, the way that the FBI was able to come in and fracture this organization was by planting seeds of dissent. Malcolm's trying to take your position, which he wasn't. Malcolm's getting too big for his britches. Malcolm, he, he loves the microphone. Mal Malcolm's trying to overshadow you. And it was working. Because here's the truth of something. Um, and I'm just saying this from my seat. I hope, or, you know what? I have a host um, who has more followers, who's on TV every night, and I am happy because the hallmark of my success is to have someone that is exceedingly greater than I am. That means I've done my job. Someone that can, can go out there and reach people I can't reach, I've done my job. And so if you really are building something, you build something with the notion that, of course, somebody's going to come and take your baton or you're going to hand the baton over so they can run further and get fat, you know, beyond where you are. That's the whole point of this relay, relay race. But I think sometimes, and, and we know this by how long you sit in a seat, because I'm going to take you back to, to um, Fart Muhammad, Wallace Fart Muhammad. He disappeared. Three years he spent with Elijah Muhammad, and then he just disappeared. I don't know whether he died. I don't know whether he was captured up in the clouds. I don't know what happened to the man. There's, he's not been heard from since. 1934. Elijah Muhammad sat in that seat until he died in the 70s. 1975. From 1934 to 1975. That's 40 years. That's 40 years. 40 years. That's, to me, at some point, 
if you don't have a whole bunch of successors, successors that can go beyond you, sure, give you your due, be respectful of your position, but go beyond you. And this goes for parents. There's some parents out there that are jealous of their children's success. I've seen it. I've seen it. That's the point of being a parent. You want your child to be exceedingly greater than you, or else you haven't done your job. Teachers, you want your students to go out there and do great things. It makes me smile when I look up and I see my students out there doing some amazing things, doing, making films and, and being executives. And I'm like, yes, that's my seed. That's what I say. That's my seed. Do you know, I get just as much joy out of seeing that as I do my own success. As a matter of fact, I probably get more joy out of it because that's really the circle of life. So I think, you know, those of us who are building things, build to sell, meaning that I'm going to build this so that I, I, I can sell this for a lot of money to build the next two or three things, to build the next two or three things, keep my name on it or keep, you know, the vision in, intact, but make sure that the person I sell it to can take it to the next place because we, we all are, ha you know, we all have limitations built in. And the goal of life is to find people who can take you to further places than you can by yourself. We're stronger together. And as I look at the, the downfall of what could have been with the Nation of Islam, I, I look at ego and jealousy and insecurity being the, the fracture in the, in the fissure that allowed for the government to infiltrate with people who look just like them, which is the other thing, which I'm going to talk about in the next podcast. How in the hell, how in the hell could you sell out your own people when you know what's at stake? Well, I'm going to talk about that in the next one. So let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Use the hashtag podcast and let's have a conversation there. Also, YouTube is a place that we're also convening. Uh, my YouTube uh, channel is Karen Hunter Show. Uh, I will pop into the live from time to time. By the way, the live is up 24-7. That's a unique thing. If you don't know that, then go find out. But, yeah, I'm in there for uh, every day just about popping in just to say hey to people and have a little tete-tete conversation back and forth. So that's Karen Hunter Show on YouTube. And share this. If you've been fed or you've been sparked to think about things differently, share it and have a conversation in your own circles about how you can build on this. All right. Uh, let me know what you think. Till next time. <laughs>